Hi, welcome to Civics Change Agent Chat, episode 31. During these chats, we speak with change agents who are working to create a better health care system for us all. I'm Stephanie Spriggs with the Center for Improving Value in Healthcare, or as we like to call it, Civic. In this chat, Sharon Adams, Civic's former community engagement manager, is speaking with Denise Denton, executive director of Aurora Health Access. Historically, those with more resources have better care and therefore better health. Aurora Health Access is working to circumvent these factors and ensure that all members of the community have access to health care regardless of economic standing. During this chat, we learn what programs are in place to address population needs and the outcomes that have resulted from these programs. We recorded this chat in July 2018. Thanks for listening and enjoy the chat. I'm the Community Engagement Manager here at Civic, and with me today is um, a colleague, and I will own the fact that she's a dear friend, Denise Denton, who's the Executive Director of Aurora Health Access. So before um, we kind of turn things over to Denise and have some conversation, there are a few things I need to cover with you from a housekeeping standpoint. The phone lines are muted, and we'll be using the Q&A feature to field questions and allow you to make comments on the discussion. Uh, questions posed will be answered during the Q&A session, which I believe is about 30 minutes into our total time together. Is that correct? About 20 minutes. 20 minutes into our total time together. Um, and the webinar is being recorded and it's going to be posted on the Civic site so you can access the information again at any time without cost. So, hello, my friend Denise Denton. Hello, Sharon. Denise and I have known each other um, quite a long time, and our roots go back to uh, rural health access, which uh, Denise is um, by far an area expert in. But today, um, we're going to talk about Aurora Health Access and um, maybe begin with well, maybe we want to know a little bit more about you than what I just said, about and me? then we can talk about uh, how Aurora Health Access got started, and we'll take it from there. You? Well, as Sharon said, um, most of my career was spent in rural health care, and in fact, I was recruited to um, Colorado from Arizona to start the Office of Rural Health in Arizona, I mean, here in Colorado. And when I was hired, I told them, you know, I love what you're doing, a group of, you know, citizens, residents setting up a not-for-profit office of rural health, but I'll give you two years. I don't quite get this mountain thing you have going, and I don't have family here, but I'll give you two years. So that was 25 years ago. I kind of get the mountain thing that's going now, and it was my pleasure to work um, uh, to start and then run the Office of Rural Health in Colorado for 16 years. So. It's unusual to be in Aurora now, um, where they have more than one hospital, um, but I'm enjoying that. They have so many things in common with what I did in rural healthcare. Great. So let's talk a little bit about Aurora Health Access, um, maybe how it started, and maybe you can give people a little bit of insight around health alliances in mm -hmm. general, not mm -hmm. a deep dive in that because we want to spend our time 
talking about Aurora. Sure. Well, Aurora Health Access started about nine years ago. Um, the parishioners from St. Teresa's Church, which is a church in Northwest Aurora, were concerned and, and frustrated that there were so many health resources in Aurora, especially, you know, this is when the um, Anschutz campus opened, so suddenly there's Children's Hospital and the medical schools and um, University Hospital, but there were still people without access to care and wanted to understand how, why, and realized that people didn't seem to be talking to each other, so a group of citizens from this church started hosting meetings, and they started meeting quarterly, attracting the stakeholders and leadership to come and just to better understand um, why people didn't have access to the care they needed. Um, they were very fortunate to get a grant about uh, four years ago from the Colorado Health Foundation sort of to see well, what do you want to be when you grow up because it was an all-volunteer um, a community group at that time, and um, evolved into um, what we call an alliance, a community health alliance. And there are 22, I don't know if they're counting Douglas County, that's our newest alliance, yeah. so maybe 23, 22 or 23 alliances in the state, and um, very different. Some of them have uh, multi-million dollar budgets, like the one in Wells County. I'm not jealous, not terribly. <laughs> Others are still just volunteer-based. Um, what we do have in common, and I should also add that many of the, the larger cities, uh, Boulder has an alliance, um, Denver has an alliance, Mile High, Douglas County has an alliance, and some, especially in rural areas, are multi-county. What we have in common, despite those differences, are that we all are, our main priority is improving access to care, especially for our most vulnerable and underserved residents. And it's also um, multi-representational. It's not just nurses or um, emergency medical providers or public health. It's, it's a broad range of the public. Some are more grassroots than others, um, but they're, it's, it's um, a broad-based group, and they have some interaction feedback with the community to help set um, health priorities. So that's what alliances are. Thank you for that primer on alliances. Um, so let's talk specifically about Aurora. And when you and I were visiting before we got started, um, I checked in just to be sure that increasing access and expanding coverage yes. and building collaboration yes. are sort of cornerstones of your work. Um, I think um, given Aurora mm -hmm. and its size, so maybe you could talk to us a little bit about the bigness of it, bigness and then of I think we'll spend some time um, talking about the diversity, okay. and and then before we step off into maybe some more programmatic pieces. Okay. Um, well, Aurora is our second largest city. Um, we've got somewhere between 350, 360,000 people, and if you're familiar with Aurora at all, just imagine, look at the changes that they've gone through in 10 years with the changes at Fitzsimmons, with the Anschutz campus, with the airport moving, that was longer than 10 years ago, but with uh, the changes at Lowry, which is not quite on Aurora, but um, you know it butts up against the side of Aurora. Um, and um, we 
across, we take up three counties. Well, we don't take up three counties, we touch three counties. 87% of Aurorans live in Arapahoe County. We've got another 12% in Adams, and we've got about 600 people, I don't know many of them, living in Douglas County. And so one of the challenges we have is collecting data, because you know how often data is around county. So we're so grateful for some of our partners, like here at Civic, that um, dig a little deeper into data to help us understand what some of our needs are and where we, um, things that we can work on, what our priorities would be. And I know we're going to talk more about it later, but another thing that um, Aurora is known for is the diversity of our community. Because for many years, I, I don't know how true it is now, housing prices were less yeah. than in Denver. And so our community is a wealth of people from so many different countries and cultures. Um, I, I read somewhere that 136 different languages are spoken at Aurora Public Schools. And so one out of five people in Aurora weren't born in this country. So um, very uh, rich uh, culturally, but also that can present some challenges when you're talking about healthcare access and building collaboration. Well, and when you're talking about care, how do you communicate when there is that much diversity oh, yeah. in the provision of care and services? Right? Well, I think about how complex our healthcare system is if you lived here all your life, if you work in healthcare, and then imagine trying to make sense of a system, which between us, I don't think makes a lot of sense, and explain that to somebody who came from a country where either they had no healthcare or had healthcare that everybody had access to what they needed, and trying to explain to someone why you should go in and take your child in even when they're well. And yes, we built this beautiful emergency room that's open 24 hours, but don't go there because um, then you're an overutilizer. You should find what we call a medical home. But don't get me started on all that. It can be very confusing. Yeah, and and pretty dynamic, right? So let's, um, so I'm going to flip a little bit. Um, of I, I wanted to go into the refugee and immigrant mm -hmm. space, but I'm changing my mind. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about focus areas or programmatic okay. areas for you. Sure. Um, and also a little bit about membership. So membership. you can you can start okay. whichever of those spaces makes the most sense. Um, Aurora Health Access is a membership community. We have a very, very rigorous membership standards. It can take a long time to become an official member. You have to ask. Pretty much. I was going to say, Denise has her tongue in her cheek, okay. as she's saying. Um, so. Anybody who believes in our mission, which is improving access to care, especially for the most vulnerable and underserved, can be a member. We have over 2,000 members now. And unlike some alliances, which are consumer-based, most of our members um, work or are otherwise engaged in Aurora's healthcare system. In a way, what we do, there are so many wonderful healthcare resources in Aurora. We think there's a capacity to take care of just about everybody if we did things a little better, if we talked to each other, if we paid attention to who's falling between the gaps. So most of our members are people who agree with that and are part of the healthcare system, but they want to make it work better than it does now. Um, the work that we get done, our members choose priority areas. Um, well, our members always say housing costs are 
one of the most. So, but we can't do that one. So we tell them what else you got. And so we pick some of their further down the list. So we try to, with the members' help, pick areas where we think we can make a difference with the partners that we have and the resources. So we have a series of work groups or task forces that anyone can join. Those groups meet every other month, um, and I'll, I'll list them. Yeah. We've got one that focuses on children's health. We have another one, actually our largest, is the Senior Circle. It's concerned with um, access to care for seniors in Aurora. We have one looking at social determinants of health, um, things like having the food that you need, having transportation to get to the health care that you need, um, safe housing. Um, we just did a whole project on mold in the motels along Colfax where many of oh. us don't get me started on wow. that. We have another, a fairly new group called Aurora Smiles. We want um, kids to get, well, not just kids, even seniors. Um, Seniors are the most underinsured group with oral health. Medicare doesn't cover um, oral health. So we came together with the School of Dental Medicine and DentaQuest and private dentists in Aurora. We work together to offer free screenings and tell people where they can get affordable oral health care in Aurora. And then um, we've got a group looking at access to specialty care. So these groups take on different projects. Um, um, help build collaboration between the entities, um, learn more about the uh, problem that you can, for example, access to specialty care. You can think, well, the doctors just won't see people, but it's much more complicated than that, and we learn about that together by having different people at the table. Great. So, um, I, Denise and I obviously have talked a little bit about what we're sharing <laughs> with you in advance, but um, Stephanie, who you don't see but is with us, is telling me there are a few questions already. We have about 10 minutes for okay. questions. Okay, so I wasn't sure whether I needed to maybe accelerate that. All right, so you guys know that we know you have questions, and we'll get back to those. Um, I hope they're not hard. Yeah, somehow I feel like you're going to be able okay. to answer them right. regardless. Um, can we talk a little bit about refugee and oh. immigrant communities mm -hmm. and uh, especially those who may not have documentation? Oh boy, you picked an easy one. I did. Sharon. You I did. did. Um, as I mentioned, Aurora is very fortunate with the incredible diversity we have in our population. But just imagine um, trying to understand our healthcare system, and I'm going to do a little quote thing when I say system, um, if you're not from this country, if you don't speak English fluently. And so it certainly creates additional challenges. Um, as an example, one of the problems that we heard um, from our members was um, if you are without documentation, if you're not here as a legal resident, if you don't have a social security number, if you go to the website about buying insurance, because let's say you can afford insurance. Um, it says you can't buy insurance on the exchange. You're not a citizen, but you can buy in the private market. We couldn't find one insurer who would sell to you if you don't have a social security number. So we're also fortunate that we have School of Public Health in Aurora and students sometimes do projects. So we have this wonderful student who agreed to call every insurance company that sold individual policies in Aurora and said, can I buy insurance from you. I don't have a social security number. It's a good thing she was volunteering because she was on hold a lot. I'm glad yeah. we weren't paying her. And was told it's illegal. We can't sell to you. We'd love to. But anyway, 
we figured it out. There was, at the time, two companies that would sell an insurance policy to you without a social security number. One was Kaiser, thank you Kaiser. The other one was the now defunct Colorado Health Co-op that was right. run by the Affordable Care Act, and we're not even going to go there. No, we're not going there. But um, <laughs> that's agree. just a, a small example. Also, um, undocumented people who are not legal residents have trouble accessing um, some of the services in Aurora. Certainly not everywhere. We have, for example, the Dawn Clinic. I'm so proud of the Dawn Clinic. Um, it is a clinic started by the students on the Anschutz campus, and they provide free care for um, people that have no insurance. And so most of them are undocumented because if they have Medicaid, they can't go to the Dawn Clinic. It's only for adults right now. And I tell you, if I'm feeling a little bit um, beaten down by the work, right. the continual challenges right. in improving access, I go to the Dawn Clinic on the Tuesday night that they're open. And I tell you, it, it, it just, that's why we do what we do. The patients that are waiting, the students that are just waiting to help, right. and they will move heaven and earth to get what these patients it need. The story, remarkable. I tell you, I can make you all cry. But um, so even though there are some challenges, we have some amazing resources in Aurora to also try to deal with it. And amazing restaurants. Did you already we say that? We have amazing <laughs> restaurants in Aurora. Amazing. Any uh, kind of food you want. Vis-a-vis -vis diversity and inclusivity, yeah. amazing restaurants at Aurora. Um, want to talk to me about any additional challenges or um, most pressing things that you may not have well, touched <laughs> upon? I think the senior oral health thing oh, yeah. is, senior oral I health. think we typically think about kids, yeah. um, but I've my personal experience has mm -hmm. been we tend to have more resources for children than we do Absolutely. for seniors. Absolutely. Um, okay. Our senior work group said one of the problems is we, we don't know where you can get affordable oral health if you're a senior. And so said we'll see what we can find out. And we put together, it's available on our website, a guide to affordable oral health services if you're a senior. And many people don't know that Medicare doesn't cover it. Um, and for seniors, they're living a lot longer, so even if they did get dentures, they often don't fit toward the latter part of their lives. They're taking drugs that dry their mouth out, and you're more prone to get new caries if, you're, you know, if your mouth is dry. So many reasons um, it's important for seniors to have good oral health. And when we looked for some funding to help programs, there was nothing. Everybody funds it for um, kids. But that's why we pulled the partners together and we're doing what we can. One great resource, I've got to put a plug in for Tri-County Health Department uh, Senior Oral Health Program. They aren't in Aurora, but Aurora um, residents can go there. And that's um, one of the best resources for affordable oral health if you are a senior. Um, so thank you to them. Another issue that we're struggling with in Aurora, not just with refugees and immigrants, but any of us, how many of you know the difference between an urgent care center and a freestanding emergency room? And we've got four freestanding emergency rooms in Aurora and over 20 um, urgent care centers. If you go in the wrong one, there is no wrong one. We're lucky to have so many options in Aurora. However, a freestanding emergency room does charge emergency room prices. So whether you have insurance and a copay, or especially if you're uninsured, the price difference can be staggering. Staggering is a good word. And so we have this whole campaign to help teach our community know where to go. 
And we say, if you have a primary care provider, a medical home, try there first. But if you don't have one or you can't get in, and it's not a, a serious life or limb threatening emergency, know where your nearest urgent care center is. Um, if you have an emergency, thank goodness you have options other than just the hospital-based emergency rooms. And then certainly if it's a behavioral health issue, knowing what your options are now, we're going to have to upgrade it because now we also have some great programs like Dispatch Health that'll come to your house and they take insurance. And now these teledoc resources, $49.95, and you can see a doctor on your computer who can even write a script for you, not for opioids. But um, so, so many options, it's confusing to know where to go. So we have a whole campaign that even says where to go in the event of a zombie apocalypse. Yeah, I, I was a little confused by that <laughs> and then ultimately got some humor. We're trying to, you know, lighten it, yeah, it up a little bit. Lighten it up just a little bit. Um, how are we doing on time, Stephanie? You guys are good. Go ahead and keep chatting. Just everybody okay. on the phone, please go ahead and write in your questions. Great. Um, oh. You know, Sharon, can I just say one thing? Yeah. Um, we are a small group. and I'd like to just say a little bit about what an incredible board we have. And it is a working board. Our staff is just myself and two incredible part-time folks. We're all contract. We don't maintain our own offices, so we keep our fixed costs very low. So how do we sustain ourselves, you ask? Well, the kindness of strangers and also affiliations. So most of the healthcare industry in Aurora, the larger ones, pay sort of an annual, we call it affiliation, to help support what we do. So we promise to keep our fixed costs low and bring value to the community. And luckily, we've been able to demonstrate that. And so um, many entities in Aurora support us, for which we are really grateful. And our board of directors, there's 18 of them, and they represent most of the healthcare entities in Aurora. And some consumers are on our board as well. But um, as I said, it's a working board, and we couldn't do it without them. Right. I think that's great to always, when you have a board that that is a working board and not just a governing board to give them a shout out. Um, you know, so in our conversation before we before we launched here, we didn't talk a lot about schools. Mm -hmm. And so um, I wonder if you have thoughts that you would share in terms of school health mm -hmm. programs and any interface relative to the alliance itself or how you think that shapes um, Aurora's well-being? Um, a very important part, you know, for uh, when you're working with people, especially underserved or vulnerable people, you need to go where they are. It's, it's really tough to get them, and I know it's inconvenient, but trying to get them to come to your meetings and where it's convenient for you to serve them. And so schools are an integral part of health education health prevention and health services in, in our community. And so we interact mostly with our school systems through our kids' work group. Um, and we couldn't do it without them. And not only the, the health care providers, but also the navigators. I, I assume it's happening in other right. schools, too. Um, community navigators that help the family get the care they need. It's not just give the kid the shot or make sure, you know, that specific issue is taken mm -hmm. care of, but we're doing much better anymore of working with 
people and volunteers in schools who look at social determinants of health. And so um, every two years we put on a, a session called the Aurora Kids Convening, and Aurora Public Schools is a big part of that. And we just kind of check in, how is Aurora doing compared with the rest of the state, learn about new resources, and as in all of our meetings, a chance for networking. Again, we have so many resources. Sometimes you give people just a chance to interact together in the same room. They're going to solve problems and create programs and make those connections. Um, another entity I want to put a shout out to is the um, Juvenile Assessment Center um, that works very closely with the schools, but also Aurora Police Department to try to head off to have a place for kids to go between um, rather than just lock up or straight to the right. judicial system. And one thing we've really been impressed with what they do is they don't just look at why did the kid do what they did that day, but they look at the whole family situation and what are the resources that can help get the whole family back on the right track. So they're an invaluable partner. I could go on, but I'm going to stop. I'm getting up. No, you can take a sip of water if you'd like. Okay. Um, so in the um, social determinants of health is has beautifully surfaced as being so essential right to overall community health, individual well-being, all of those things. It's a little squishy. I don't think it's a space where we can say social determinants of health and automatically we all go to the same component of that. Um, I I believe, and Civic is looking forward to doing more in that space where we can entertain those social determinants and figure out how that how the data helps inform mm -hmm. some of those things. Transportation. Oh yeah, picked another. Uh, <laughs> so transportation is usually top of mind for me. Mm -hmm from a social determinant standpoint. And um, and when we have kids in the picture, um, childcare is mm -hmm. significant. And then food insecurity. Mm -hmm. So if you know those are kind of my top three And housing. Is, housing. Housing certainly. Yeah. But you've alluded a little bit to housing. Talk to me a little bit about and I think I would be curious about transportation. Um, well, transportation comes up not just with kids. It's a big oh, no. issue, too, for our seniors in access, uh, um, accessing not just the medical care that they need, but the, their social interaction, that social component that they need so much. Um, so non-emergent medical transportation comes up all over the place. Right. One of the things we found working with the Aurora Center for Active Adults, they have some great programs that they were encouraging seniors to come to and not getting the um, participation they thought they should. Well, no. It found out that just figuring out how to use the public transportation system was confusing. And so when they added helping them figure out how to get a bus pass, how to ride the bus, how does Uber work, it really helped with their participation. Another project we did related to transportation was in our um, kids work group. Um, many people know, perhaps, that there is a Medicaid transportation right. benefit. Right. Can't say it works really well all the time. And so just talking to some of our members 
who work, especially with mothers, and the barriers that the Medicaid transportation um, regulations present yeah. to actually making it usable. So we wrote a paper on that. It went to healthcare policy and finance, and, and they used parts of it for informing little things, unintended consequences that they um, that make it work a little better. So, but again, like housing, it's so big. I think it's why so many people don't even want to ask. Um, how do you solve those? Um, the, those social determinants that make it impossible for people that live health at their maximum. We did a, a study recently looking at life expectancy in the 17 zip codes in Aurora. You know, we're in three counties. We've got 17 zip codes. And um, it was more um, discrepancy than in the Denver area. So there was a 18-year difference in your life expectancy in some of these zip codes in Northwest Aurora compared to zip codes like down around Southland Mall. So that in and of itself, I mean, there's lots of reasons for that, but that just tells you what a different life experience people have living right. in one part of Aurora with another. Right. And transportation is part of that. Absolutely. Thank you for that. I think we have to wrap up our discussion. Um, so thank you. Oh, thank you. And I, I know that people will um, seek you out. You're not hard to find if they have questions. And um, I want to thank everybody who joined us as well. The recording of the discussion will be shared uh, via social media and the civic site on Monday. Um, we hope you have a great rest of your week post the July 4th holiday and um, you'll get information about our next change change agent chat sometimes that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a tongue one. twister change agent chat um, via via email and our regular communication with you so thank you Denise thanks Sharon huge pleasure not it was a pleasure to do this and talk about a royal health access but to do it with you yeah. made it all the more special it's good to see you my friend yes you as well and i'm going to jump in we had a, a late entry okay question box okay um late mentioned that uh the social security number is not required to purchase coverage on the exchange we're kind of connect for health although applicants must be lawfully present and would have to provide documentation showing an eligible non-citizen status. In addition, parents who aren't eligible can apply on behalf of eligible children. Um, if Great. folks have questions about this, please email civic at info at civic.org and we Great. can go ahead and get some information to you. Wonderful. Superb. Great. Thank you. Uh, of course. And thank you all for attending and have a wonderful day. Great.